strict instructions to mention everything apart from the national team this week. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Sam Kelly. I'm here in Gabashito with both the Dans and Seba, as normal. Hello. Hello. Hola. Um, we're back for another episode of Hand of Pod. It's been a, an action-packed weekend of league action, of which I've seen almost nothing. So I've had a very strange weekend, travelling right across the city to live somewhere else for a week before I then travel back to San Telmo to move into my new flat, which would be nice. But guys, what, what did you make? Uh, I think it started with the most intense day of the, of the four days in which this week was played, Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday. And, and on Friday we had um, Olimpo and Godoy Cruz. Olimpo were leading 2-0 at home. Crucial game for them for as they are in the relegation battle and will be until the end of the season. <clears throat> and then Godoy Cruz playing with, with substitutes because they are also playing Copa Libertadores. They scored three in the second half and Olimpo ended up getting a point in a very controversial play in which there was a player offside and they played beyond the three minutes of added time so that was really controversial and, and Godoy Cruz manager uh, Uruguayan Jorge da Silva was furious about it and then yeah, that's why the he got sent I saw on the stats that he had a red card but I didn't know why exactly. I think he was more furious about the time I don't think he knew about the, the offside the offside was very difficult to to see at first. You you, you can see it in, in the replay, and, and it's not from the guy who scores, but from the guy who heads it towards the guy who scored. And at the same time, Gimnasia went to Santa Fe. They were playing at, at the same time, and they went ahead one one nil early on. One minute later, Colón equalized, and I said, "Oh, this is typical Gimnasia." Just when they think that they're gonna put a, a run together and, and, and escape from from relegation. Colón equalized, and then Juan Neira with a free kick sent them ahead 2-1, and, and they scored the, the third on injury time in the second half. So it was a crucial win for Gimnasia, especially because they play in the Clásico against Estudiantes next week. And, and they played well, actually, that game as well. I, I saw most of that match. It was about almost the only game I saw, but, but it, was, it was really good. Neira looks good as well. He, he, he was impressive during the Apertura, I thought, but... He's, he's started this one really well. He's got about four goals, maybe, the first? And three. Yeah. And something like five in the last five. And so you're praising uh, Angel Capa's team? They didn't look too good in the first week when when they got the draw against... Uh, it was San Lorenzo, wasn't it? With the dive that wasn't a dive. From the Shadow Ball Battle of Shadow. But they, they look like they're settling in now. And, and they're playing... You know, they're... Well, you always expect Kappa's teams to play good football, whether they have a cutting edge or not, is another matter. But so far, I mean, a win against Colón historically is never easy, although I thought they were very poor at home last during the Apertura as well. So Ignacio will probably have harder matches to come. But for now, you know, they're, they're going well. And with Neyra in the form he's in, that's, that's big for them as well, because if they, if they can get goals, then they're always going to have a chance. It's a cliche to say it, but it's true. Now, it's an interesting thing with Colón, like you say, like... Um They've got a pretty formidable reputation at home. Their stadium was nicknamed in Argentina the Elephant's Graveyard, which gives you an idea of how nice a place it is to visit. And kind of everyone I talk to just says, you know, it's a horrible place for fans to go, a horrible place for the players to go, you know. And but yeah, I think probably from from the 2010 Clausura they seem to have lost this uh, this formidability at home. And for me, Colonia got a good team; they can expect to do pretty well. But they've got to sort out this home form. It's bizarre because they weren't. It's not as if they were especially terrible away. No. Um, but I think during the Apertura they only won one or two home matches or something. Yeah. And, and they drew a couple, but they lost an awful lot of them. And 
it's hard to see why because as you say they're, they're decent and they've got mm. Fuertes up front and, yeah. you know, Higuain as well yeah. and, the and a goalkeeper who's, who's normally in if not on the fringes of the, the local national yeah. side and so but they, they change really managers halfway through the apertura or almost well yeah, it was halfway so they let um, Mohamed go to Independiente and they replace him with Gamboa yeah. so now probably they, they're just trying to adapt to this new season maybe I don't know yeah. um, but that's, um, it was a funny weekend all around because without looking at the scores I think only two home teams won out of all the games and there were some big surprises like Estudiantes lost at home to Banfield and yeah. it wasn't probably too much, that much of a surprise but River beat Independiente away and uh, Racing beat through. San Lorenzo away and these are two stadiums you know that no away team likes to go to and usually in Argentina you know the home team has a lot of advantage the, they outnumber the, the away fans 10 to 1 and it's a big noise but well, maybe it was an anomaly, uh, an anomaly or maybe it's a sign of things to come it certainly messed up Mystic Dan's predictions it certainly did yeah <laughs> how, how many did you get this week? I, I, saw think, the, um, I think it was about three but right. as we were talking about before with, with so um, he he messaged me <laughs> I think on Sunday telepathically <laughs> he messaged me tel- telepathically um, and I said he asked me how I was going and I, and I said I think I had two out of five which is about par for me and uh, I said but I'm pretty confident that Estudiantes will win and Velez will win and neither yeah. of them did which kind of messed up all my all my predictions um, but yeah it was as I, I, I even said last week I thought it was really hard to, to pick but uh, um, as has already said the, the Friday night was really exciting because we had ten goals I think in the two games and the other interesting point about that was uh, was Olympos kind of status in the table uh, during the match because uh, they so they were at two goals up right and they they were safe out of the relegation zone. Um, with the draw, they were in promotion. With the draw, they were in the in the in the playoff places, and then they went behind and they were <laughs> plus that they were also top of the table. Were, top of the table, yeah. yeah. Like they would have had nine points because the way the Argentinian television does it is. Instead of waiting till the end of the game, they show you during the game where like someone scores and they're like, all right, here's the relegation table, here's the table. Yeah. It's like a partial kind of table. Which uh, is great when you know it's, it's good fun when when you get it on like the last day of the season. Yeah, in England, yeah. But, but three games in, it. it's not really that much now. Yeah. Oh, but I quite like it. You like yeah, it because yeah, I don't know. It's, maybe yeah. because I'm from Argentina. I don't know. I quite like it. Yeah. It gives you the importance of what they're playing. But yeah. Well, they do it in um, England as well, and I oh, usually they wait until there's about five or four games left of the season. They yeah. probably wouldn't do it on the opening day. And of course, no, also, they don't have the reason is because they don't have the premieres. Of yeah, course, yeah, they, they haven't got two different tables to show yeah. as well. And in fact, when we do get into the last couple of weeks of this season, they'll probably start showing the, the Sudamericana qualification yeah. table as well, alongside all the others, which is um, which is just a normal league table worked out over the the whole season, both the Apertura and the Clausura. But yeah, it's. It's funny to look at during the game, and, and the really weird thing, as we've said, Olimpo were top of the the Clausura the whole time, and, and another upshot of the um, the weekend's results. <laughs> Zombies licking my feet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> another upshot of the the weekend's results is that the top two teams in the table now they're effectively joint top because, of course, if they're tied on points, they play a playoff, not not decided by goal difference. So River and Olimpo, who were both also in this relegation battle um, it's kind of and it reminds me of when Talleres de Córdoba got relegated they finished the, the clausura second place mm. they, they almost win the league and they, they got relegated and I think it's, it's silly and it's a stupid system I will never get yeah. tired of criticizing this system that was introduced in 83 to save River Plate it has to be said, but anyway. And but did you get uh, any of you guys see uh, Estudiantes and Vélez games? I, I, I catched the. Uh, I, I was um, with Felipe, my son, and we fall asleep together. Mm-hmm. And I, I got up and Vélez, um, sorry, Estudiantes and Banfield were playing were playing second half. So I watched it almost entirely, and and I saw the moment where where, where Achucarro scored for Banfield. It was a beautiful ball by former Estudiantes player Marcelo Carrusca and a very well-taken header and, and from then uh, Estudiantes looked lost of ideas. I, I didn't see the first half, I don't know mm-hmm. how did, well um, they did or not. But did Felipe smile though? Felipe was uh, kind of a <laughs> giving me a funny look. <laughs> Why are you punching the air? <laughs> 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 nice. yeah. One game 
I would like to ask, I think, I didn't see it personally because I was on my way to um, Bajo Flores in San Lorenzo, but um, uh, Lanús won again the second time in the year, and Diego Valeri, who used to play for Porto, got both goals, bringing that to four. Uh, did any of you guys ma- manage to catch that game, like? Uh, shed some light on what this like? They look pretty impressive. Flicking over, yeah. Um, Valeri was very, very impressive, mm-hmm. and... and Somewhat depressingly, Camarones was as well uh, in in bursts. I mean, the, his if you if you haven't seen the goal, it was probably one of the, the best goals of, of, of the tournament so far. It was uh, Camarones just sort of driving through midfield and uh, skirting past players, and then setting up Valeri to do a lovely uh, Vatalina uh, kind of scooped shot into goal. Uh, really nice finish. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, depressing because Camarones was like really quite washed up at Juventus. So, uh, and then uh, where, where did he go after Juventus? Stuttgart. Stuttgart. Yeah. Yeah. Barely played. And then he shows up here, and he's kind of <laughs> you see him just single-handedly dominating a game. But um, no, apart from that, see, Lenos looked, uh, looked quite good. I, yeah, I think um, maybe Valeri was the difference there. And Quilmes, the only team without points so far. Yeah. Last in the relegation standings, I don't know. Not even having one of the most powerful politicians in in Argentina right now will will help that help their cause. I, I don't. I, I don't think see we any can give them up as the first team down. Yeah, I think that wouldn't be too much of a um, too much of a stretch. And bizarrely as well, I've, I've realised whilst I was putting the um, my spreadsheets on the league tables together for my site last night, Argentinos have now drawn all three of their matches. They're the only team who've neither won nor lost any game at all. They've, they've drawn three. I think one nil nil and two of them one one or something. Mm-hmm. And um, they also they also got a draw against Fluminense for Copa Libertadores. Yeah. So it's four out of five. Yeah. And the other one they're very still good. undefeated. And the other one was an impressive win over America de Mexico. Yeah, very good win. I think it's probably a consequence of playing both tournaments and having lost. Ortigosa in midfield and Mercier to injury. Yeah, as we, we talked about in the preview of the season that it was going to be tough for all of those teams. Uh, Estudiantes are still doing all right despite that loss. They've still got six points out of nine, and I mean the, the tournament leaders are on seven points. Uh, but Vélez. Yeah, that's surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, they got a couple of injuries as well. Yeah. Santiago Silva, their their top goal scorer, and then Guillermo Franco, who was supposed to be his backup. Both of them were got, got injured. Vélez fell behind to Independiente in the first week of the, se- of the season, managed to get a draw near the end, then lost surprisingly to all boys. They went behind as well in that match. And in this case, against Argentinos, they, ha- they had the lead and they considered silly set-pieces goal. And Franco Neal, one of the shortest guys, we always mention him, and he keeps yeah. scoring yeah. headers. He scoring headers, it's unbelievable. It's Actually, as well, the, the goal came very early on. Vélez's goal, and, and it was another. As Dan was mentioning, Camaronesi setting up Valeri. It was it was a really good goal. I, I, I've only seen, as I say, nearly all of the goals I've, I've kind of seen on YouTube or in the the review shows at the end of each evening. But it was a really nice goal. It, it was was it um, David Ramirez. 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 Yeah. It's got a few um, beauties already this year. Like he's got one in the Copa, I know. Like at this weekend, very good signing actually. And, and the side that he's left got like Cruz got. Um, Actually, remind me what they did this week. I can't remember. Well, they cruised, they, um, they, they played at Olimpo, and it was a three. Of course, yeah. yeah. I think they've started all right, considering that it's the first time that they're, they're ever having to play in two tournaments, uh, yeah. tournaments, two competitions at the same time. You know, they started off without thrashing at Boca. Um, Lost to San Lorenzo yeah. at home. There's nothing to be to be ashamed of, with, especially with the San Lorenzo side that Ramon Diaz has, has got this season. I think they, they should be OK. Although saying that, Sam, I know I saw a pretty, pretty awful performance from San Lorenzo yeah, on Saturday. Yeah, they comfortably beat, Would you like to tell us about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean that was probably there was two big games, two big games of the in the week, two clásicos, um, River against Independiente and San Lorenzo Racing, and I was in the away end for Racing, and yeah, I mean Racing played very well, probably one of the best games for quite a while now. Uh, they managed to kind of get around Gio Moreno being missing by playing like a 4-3-4-3 a three, three, three formation and relying a lot on the wings like uh, Ivan Pichud on the right. We were talking just before recording that this guy could be a natural successor to Zanetti at right back for, for Argentina if he kind of... It's early days but if he continues on his same 
on the same trajectory because he loves bombing forward, but he's also very good at getting back. Yeah. Crosses a beautiful ball. I was impressed by it against Boca yeah. as well that, the weekend before last. Yeah. No, it was a shame he missed almost the whole whole of the Apertura for injury. Ironically, because he managed to get injured against San Lorenzo in a preseason friendly. But now he's back to full fitness and he's working well. And he formed a great partnership with a new guy, Teofilo. Teo- Teofilo. Teofilo. Gutierrez. Uh, Colum- the second of our Colombian duo, who knocked two in on his full debut and again, yeah, looked very impressive. Two really good finishes. Two well. very, very good finishes. Probably lovely visual crosses. Yeah. Proper old fashioned English style diving header. Yeah. I think from the second one on the volley was just brilliant. Brilliantly <laughs> taken, yeah. Absolutely superb. And I think from. From everything I've heard about him, all the people that have spoken about him who know a bit, he's just a very, very much a natural goal scorer. He scored a hatful in Colombia. He didn't get much of a chance in Turkey, but there's some people you can tell just right from the start they're there to score goals. And Gutierrez is this kind of guy. As he said so himself quite a lot this week. In he said a lot this week. Like he's definitely not shy about um, about standing in front of a camera. It's kind of fitting that on the Saturday before the Oscars he gave his own little acceptance speech for, <laughs> for scoring two goals he um, he thanked his mum his dad his family Gio of course yeah. God who well, never pointed out he mentioned God twice with Gio <laughs> if you ask him he probably said this was another King's speech you know yeah like, like the Oscar winning yeah so yeah he does keep mentioning in every interview how as you say he's a natural goal scorer and he scores <laughs> great goals and all this kind of stuff Oh yeah, find his honesty refreshing. No yeah. false modesty there. And if he keeps scoring goals, he can say whatever the <laughs> whatever the hell he wants. From my, so my yes, Russ, Russian fans have a new idol, new Colombian idol already. Chill, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I think I think Racing will still miss Giovanni Moreno a lot, um, especially because Luwers you had to play out of position. Maybe now with Toranzo coming back, mm. um, yeah. he will occupy that. Uh, kind of a link yeah. position between midfield and, and, and forwards. But I think Racing never lost control of the match, even even after falling behind, uh, thanks to uh, Jonathan Botinelli header from a corner. Which was a great header, if we give great credit, header, like yeah. towering. It was, yeah, corner. against the run of play. I think, yeah. as you say, I think Racing had control of it the entire match, really. Yeah. And it I did think showed a lot of wheels to come back from from 1 0 down. And, yeah. and I think the only time they looked a bit vulnerable was actually when they went ahead, which always happens in wrestling. Like they're incapable of killing off a game, you know. They go one ahead and just start hobbling on for dear life. But this time they managed to, and it was three points well won for me. Yeah, and at the end of the game, um, controversy started at, at, for San Lorenzo when new president said that Ramon Diaz, the manager of San Lorenzo, didn't know how Racing played and the team was not prepared to play Racing or whatever and Ramon Diaz yeah. was almost kind of Theo in a way of uh, <laughs> loves speaking about himself as well uh, he said that this is probably something that the president said because he had no experience mm-hmm. and now it's, things appear to be a, a bit cooler now but uh, San Lorenzo fans uh, should, should be ready to see a lot of changes yeah. In the lineup for the next game, it, it was kind of a stupid thing to say on the part of the, of the Abdov, the San Lorenzo president. I thought, because in spite of being a River fan and obviously Ramon Diaz being our most successful manager ever, I, I find him an annoying character. I don't particularly like Diaz. Um, He's very abrasive. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, to say something like he wasn't prepared for the way that Racing were going to play, I mean, Racing didn't know how they were going to play. <laughs> you know, they're still trying to, to, to some extent, they're still feeling about in the dark to, to work out how to play without Moreno. Um, and so, of course, Diaz didn't know exactly how they were going to be set up because they're still, you know, you're, you're still experimenting with, with the setup and everything. So it, it seems slightly unfair to me. I was quite disappointed with the way San Lorenzo played, though. I mean, they. they I wasn't. <laughs> in terms of a team that I, until now, I thought would be t- challenging for the title this year, um, they just didn't seem to have any response to, to Racing the whole game. So what car have we got for San Lorenzo? We can't go. Diaz famously used to compare. Uh, it was one of his old Riverside's, wasn't it? With no, it was the San Lorenzo, the Lamborghini or something, and no. then he switched to the Falcon, oh, right, yeah. Fal- uh, for Falcon for this um, for this current San Lorenzo side. But this right now it's a Lada of some description. Or yeah, 
something along those lines. So Racing had Jacob and Zuccolini in the middle, which for me are two of the best central midfielders in Argentina at the moment. You could just see that San Lorenzo lost the game in the midfield. They were out-battled, out-fought, and from there, if you not, haven't got control of the middle, you're always going to struggle. And Ortigosa, the center, the new signing for San Lorenzo, who plays center midfield, yeah. and in my opinion lost the battle to these two guys, said on Tuesday that he wasn't fit enough to play, he shouldn't have played, so yeah. he added a little bit of fire to San Lorenzo. I didn't know about the other Plastico this weekend. I didn't catch that one. But. Well, um, River visited Independiente, and this was in, this was incredible because these two are two of the three teams that never um, never left the Primera División, the first division, since football became professional in Argentina in 1931. Together with Boca, these are the three teams that have always played and never got relegated, and for the first time. Independiente and, and River are both at the same time risking relegation at the end of the season. So this was like no other previous uh, match to, uh, between these yeah. two. And, and I think it showed for me, I saw most of the game and for long stretches it was a really kind of turgid, kind of bogged down game, you know, very few chances that both, team were, both teams were just afraid to lose. Quite a nice goal. Very, very nice goal, yeah. From, uh, Thank you, Bologna, yeah. And I think River were better and enjoyed mm. more chances, and, and also had a goal disallowed in the first half. Which was and never a Ferrari was Ferrari was one meter uh, be, yeah. behind the line yeah. of the ball. It was like a cross from the left, and the, the, the linesman was very badly positioned, so he didn't he didn't see that Ferrari was actually behind the ball, and that would have made the, the game a lot easier for for River and would have played with the with Independiente's desperation and Independiente what a fun, what a what a funny situation they're at because funny in many ways but uh, <laughs> funny unusual or funny haha this is an objective unusual. funny of course <laughs> funny, from uh, yeah, exactly exactly no because they are the the, the, the last Copa Sudamericana champions uh, by winning the Copa Sudamericana in 2010, they qualify automatically for the next edition. But in the standings that qualified teams for the Copa Sudamericana, the best uh, the best six teams will go to the Copa Sudamericana uh, 2011, and Independiente are last in that in, in, in that table, dead last. And, and uh, nevertheless, they already qualify for that. But also, they're playing in the current Copa Libertadores. Also because they won the Copa Sudamericana and they got access to to the Copa Libertadores, and they're not doing bad. I mean, they, they won their first their first game at home to Peñarol three 0 with playing with a few substitutes. So they're not doing bad in that um, competition. But they 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 now have 12 matches with no wins in the domestic yeah. in the yeah. domestic league. So. Uh, it's kind of very difficult to to explain or to, to even understand it. So. I mean, that's almost an entire season in Argentina, if you put it in, mm. in that perspective. Mm. I think even Quilmes have won since then. Yeah, if I'm not mis mistaken, it's uh, 16 points out of 22 matches, Yeah, counting Apertura plus Clausura. So that's, that's, that's 16 points from 66, then, isn't it? Yeah, so, so that's not acceptable for, for Independiente fans, yeah. but... Uh, now they they are debating themselves um, whether they should aim for the Copa Libertadores. They won it seven times. They're the most successful club in South America in that competition. But really, I think they, their priority should be to concentrate on the relegation battle because Agreed. if not, they're really going to struggle. So and for me, I think probably the the other big issue from this week's Apertura uh, Clausura, sorry, was obviously uh, Riquelmegate part. 55,000 yeah. which I think Sam has studied in a fair amount of depth and just before recording I was talking to a colleague of mine at Goal who's, who works in Argentina and he was saying that he's planning an exclusive on this subject for Friday which means some juicy information I think is planned but we don't know what it is yet they can't release it till Friday wow. but until then so does that mean you don't know what it is even though you work for Goal though? I don't know yet, no. Oh, right. But I will know shortly before. I, I have a, a 
Buff supporting friend, in fact, well, friend of mine on servers actually, uh, our friend Johnny, who will be listening, so hello Johnny, who, who's been telling me that he, he doesn't have any contacts at the club or anything, but he just, he's very good at, um, he's American, he's been here for about five or six years, and he, he really, he's a great Buffett fan. And he's, he's got a kind of good feel for what may or may not be going on. And he, he seems to think, or one of the things that he kind of hopes, I think, is that they might be trying to get Riquelme fit in terms of uh, then looking at moving him on to another club where he can cause his own trouble there. He has um, been linked in inverted commas with Racing. Yeah. Because Russo had him at Boca yeah. and likes him. Loves him. I don't think it would be a good move for Racing. Um, well, it makes sense to uh, replace him, uh, replace Moreno temporarily, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, can but see, you can see problems down the down the road with that. But it's um, it, it's a big thing because you know we we mentioned on last week's podcast how just the day that we were recording, he Riquelme had picked himself, had announced that he would be playing. And moreover, that he wouldn't be playing as number five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He wouldn't set. be on the bench. And basically, um, all of us said that there's yeah. no way. I mean, the coach realizes he's, he's dead meat if he doesn't pick yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and then he didn't. two days later, yeah. uh, the day after the podcast went online, Falcioni was on the television saying, Riquelme is dropped from the matchday squad. He's not going to be there. He'll be watching from the stands, which in the end, he didn't even do yeah. that. He didn't go to the, even attend the match. Bocca it's an astonishingly no, no, brave no, no, thing for Falcioni to do as, as Bobby Manager, I thought. And, and as I hinted last week, and as I mentioned in, in an article I wrote for, for Soccernet yesterday, the first, the most sensible thing that any Boca manager's done with Riquelme for the last, you know, over the last kind of five years, other than playing when he is actually fully fit, obviously that's the most sensible thing you can do. But besides that, you know, to play him when he isn't fully fit, and he was saying he was fully fit, the physio said he was fully fit, and then today, this morning in training, he's broken down again with, with an injury to the same knee that he had operated on last year and they're talking about him being a big doubt for the, the Velez game at the weekend and, and also it's, it's caused you know one of Boca's directors has resigned <laughs> over the whole thing well yeah, as you said it seemed like a sensible decision but you saw the reaction that it got at yeah. Bomonera you saw these images of like the, all the fans behind the, the prospects and Falcioni standing there and they were just screaming abuse at him and as the match went on it got worse and worse because yeah, as we say it was a nil all draw Boca probably had the better of that game but uh, they couldn't manage to get the win very unfortunately for Falcioni. Yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't doubt that Riquelme was fit because even on Monday he had a full training session and he had an assist for... Because in Argentina you find out, television shows you, matches they play in training at Boca. You, yeah. know, you, you know every, everything, you know who had the assist, who, who scored. So he had an assist during the informal football match at training. Yeah, they always play the, the first team versus the reserves or yeah, whatever. Right? Yeah. And so he, he played and had no problem, and only on Tuesday uh, his, his knee got swollen. I know the name in, in Spanish of this injury is synovitis. I need that in Spanish as well. Yeah. I, I looked it up in the dictionary, it's, it's the same thing. I don't know yeah. what it is, but... Alright, yeah, it's, it's when you when, when Syn- there is some liquid... Yeah. Oh, kind right. of like fluid build-up on the, fluid on the knee build- or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So nothing serious, like, we should probably point out, you know. Yeah. An annoyance rather than an injury. Yeah, the doctor like said at the moment of recording this is on Tuesday night. Uh, this morning he said um, he he's not ruling Riquelme out of Sunday's game against Vélez. We should wait and see. But I remember saying last week that uh, I would definitely include Riquelme in the lineup if I was Falcioni. I think Falcioni, I don't know, maybe he's he, he doesn't regret uh, not not picking Riquelme, but he blamed. The, the result on the referees and I don't know external factors that Boca had, um, had a goal disallowed. Yeah. For yeah. for the benefit of the listeners who are wondering why Falcioni might have said that, which um, I think was it was it you, Ozzy Dad, who was saying that Palermo was actually just offside when the ball got played, but um, didn't touch it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and that was the the other point that that I made to it might not have been you. I can't remember, but yeah, yeah whoever did make on, it, after seeing it, the, the other point that I made was that regardless of whether they saw that or not, that was not what the officials disallowed it for. Mm-hmm. And what they did disallow it for was something that didn't happen at all. Uh, they disallowed it for a, a supposed kick on Esteban Cambiaso's brother, Nicolas, who's all-boys goalkeeper, which, when they showed the replays, <laughs> it was a nice piece uh, of acting. <laughs> but it was a close call, to be honest. Like uh, It happened really fast, and, and Cambiaso had uh, contact with his hands, uh, touched the ball. At the same time, Colasso hit the ball. Mm. And it, it gave the impression that player actually hit um, the goalkeeper, so it wasn't as it was a completely understandable exactly yeah, mistake it, for the referee to make. But it still should have, you know, the goal should have um, stood. 
Yeah, and that's... And so Falcione is saying that... Yeah, that, that's I'm, what I'm never a, Yeah, I'm never a huge fan of saying when that kind of thing happens that it means that Boca would have won 1-0. Because obviously if you have a goal then it completely changes the dynamic of the second half then. Yeah. Unless it's but, in the last minute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if it happens at the last touch of the game, it's something else. But, but I think the irony here is that in, in week one, when they lost at home 4-1 to Godoy Cruz, they played better than when they beat Racing the following week. And they played with Riquelme, and their problem was not up front, but it was, it was uh, in defending, and that's not uh, Riquelme's responsibility. But Falcioni didn't play with the 4-4-2 formation that he loves, so he didn't have Riquelme for week two because he got injured, uh, some problem in one of his ankles, and then they won against their, I wouldn't say against the odds, but against the run of play maybe, they they were not uh, the, the best team no. that night, and the goalkeeper was best player, and so he decided to repeat the same formation, change only Rivero because he got suspended, and but he essentially he kept the 4-4-2, and, and which was the other interesting thing that I found about the game it, it was it was actually the only match that I watched the whole way through this weekend because I was interested in the whole Riquelme situation was that not only did he not include Riquelme but he only included he only put Walteri Viti on the other playmaker for the last half hour and, and Boca really didn't create very much at all mm. you know the, the disallowed goal notwithstanding so yeah he's I think after getting so heavily beaten by Godoy on the opening week Falcioni is obviously now wanting to sort out the defence and get the defence to a point where they're confident and and playing well enough that he can then start to introduce the you know important bits of the attacking system. I got a feeling he would have. He definitely seems to be being maybe the, if anything a bit over cautious at, at present. I, I, I got a feeling he would have, assuming Raquel is not fit this weekend. Um, I think he would have played him if he had been fit. Mm. Uh, the, the, all the sounds he was making after the after the game, he was saying, well, you know, uh, we we might have to adjust. Things this weekend, um, and as you said in the, in the training sessions and, and whatever, it looked like Fikelme was probably going to be playing this time around. But yeah, he's injured again. So. Yeah, and there's people, obviously those who are fans of Riquelme and also fans of Boca, saying, "Hey, but our number nine is not playing anywhere near uh, a good standard." Yeah, well, and well, if you well, want to take anyone out, it would be exactly. Palermo for me. Yeah. Yeah. And also Bataglia is not playing yeah. their, his best football. So why is he just taking out Riquelme? And there, is, there must be something behind the scenes that we don't know. Mm. I think the, I think the, 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 the best explanation for this would be that uh, the Boca directors hired the king of 4-4-2, and obviously he's he's not happy to uh, to play with Enganche, with the playmaker, and that's that's what's happening. We, he's just getting rid of the Enganche in benefit of playing with. A more defensive-looking midfield. Yeah. And the problem is in Argentina, playing with 4-4-2 without an enganche is fine if you're winning, but as soon as you start losing, because this formation is sacred here, yeah, people are going to start accusing you of being negative, defensive. You know, it's all a question of winning. You know, if, if Boca won against All Boys on on Saturday, which from here they easily could have, it probably wouldn't even yeah. probably be hailing him as a genius. Well, according to a lot of the polls before the match, a lot of people agree. You can't tell how, how accurate these polls are because you're not sure if it's all Boca fans voting. But uh, more, the majority agreed with his decision to leave out the academy. I saw that, and um, I think it was yeah, 60% agreed with Falcioni uh, before the game. Now it's 60% thought Riquelme should have played. Right. And one uh, Argentinian journalist was making the point during the week that you get the feeling there's a certain section of the Boca fans who are almost—it's like they're almost more in love with Riquelme than they are. Boca itself, yeah. like you get the feeling that they wanted to, to have a bad result in some sort of sick way, <laughs> because uh, they—they—it's almost like they're, they're more in love with Riquelme, the, the player, and then and Boca, the club. It happens, yeah, for sure, yeah. But that would never happen to you guys with, with Gio, would it? No. no. <laughs> we're, no we're, player. Ce we're celebrating no, Russell's win last week, and he's exactly. so. <laughs> No player is bigger than the club, never. Except, uh, except when it's Messi and the national team. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no. I was just joking. We'll play some new music that our listeners won't have heard yet. In fact, none of the other three here have heard it yet. You'll be hearing it for the first time later. It's a nice new theme tune for Mystic Dan's introduction. Um, I'm going to put a link up to to the MySpace page of the composer of this theme tune. Cause 
mainly because he's my best friend and he did it for free for us. So do have a visit on that if you're listening on the blog. And we'll come back in a second for Mystic Dan. So after a miserable performance last week, I'm hoping that the, the the theme tune helps me out this time. You're having a looped bit of music playing underneath your voice as you say this, by the way, as well. All right, so we've got Always San Lorenzo, and I've gone for a draw in this one. Then, um, in the Clásico of La Plata, I've gone for Estudiantes to win. Then I've got five home wins in a row. Newells against Huracán, Racing against Godoy Cruz against Colón, Banfield against Lanús, and River against Argentinas. All home wins. Vélez, Boca, I've got a draw. Uh, Quilmes, Tigre, going for the away win to, to Tigre. And then a draw for the last game, Arsenal Independiente. Two Clásicos at the weekend. Yes. That's, that's the first... The, the, I don't tend to pay very much attention to the... Uh, <laughs> the weekend fixtures before we do this each week so that's the first that I've realised I knew that the La Plata Clásico was coming up because um, it's, it's going to be an interesting one you think you, you've gone for Banfield to win over Lanús yeah so, with, uh, this with, is a tough one but with Camaronesi returning to his former club of course as well which mm-hmm. will be a, a popular one he, he featured for Banfield when they were in the second division yeah I mean it's a Clásico so it's, it's always going to be hard to do even yeah. Ignacio Estudiantes uh, really tough one yeah so, don't bet your house on those ones, maybe. And I think Estudiantes will... You, you said Estudiantes to win, didn't you? Yeah. And I think that'll be... I think they're going to be really, really focused after losing to Banfield. Um, the weekend just gone. It'll be a game to watch, definitely. I think that's yeah. on the Saturday, correct? And it'll also yes, be, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And also, obviously, the first Clásico in the new stadium, the Estadio Único. Mm. So it should be a crazy atmosphere there. I'm sure the stadium will be absolutely packed to the rafters. And I don't know... Again, I wouldn't want to want to bet my house on it, and certainly not because um, Dan has gone the other way. You know, I don't like to mess with the stars, as it were. But I can see Gimnasia getting a little bit of a result. Like, mm-hmm. It's just a feeling. I think they're going to be very pumped up for that game. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Actually, if any of our listeners know how to go about getting tickets for the La Plata Clásico, by the way, please get in know. touch with Aussie Dan because he's planning on. Um, I would like to go down for for the day, kind of go down on Friday actually, and, and stay overnight. Apparently it's quite a nice city and yeah. I'd love to but I'm moving house on Sunday so uh, Sunday morning so I feel I shouldn't really be doing uh, anything how did you go how do you, how do you guys see Vélez Boca it's very interesting that's an interesting game I, I like your call for a draw you did yeah. say draw didn't you yes I did yeah I, I, I think you're probably right both there both looking pretty impotent at the moment really. exactly yeah um, Vélez more so in the league maybe than in the Copa um but yeah I, I think a draw is going to be about right for that and also San Lorenzo All Boys I'm interested that you, you've gone for a draw there because it, it wouldn't entirely surprise me if All Boys sneak something just the way that San um, Lorenzo played against Racing as I said before where yeah. they just looked fairly lifeless and um, and we all know All Boys have built a bit of a fortress at home now so. and they've got their Shrek and Donkey yep. uh, non-strike force because they didn't feature at the same time against Boca last week and this is something that we're going to be trying to get onto in future weeks so uh, regular Fat Fab watch uh, Fat Fab being the nickname that I came up with on Twitter and couldn't believe I hadn't thought of it sooner during the week for Christian Fabiani um, yeah so we'll we'll have that and more exciting features for you next week well you, we could even start it this week even though we don't have a team team or anything but because uh, I thought it was quite <laughs> funny in the in the All Boys game where um, All Boys Walkers that we talked about before extremely fairly boring game and uh, Ole, the, the Sports Daily, always gives a, they have these little prizes for, for each game, and yeah, it's like the, the Premio Maradona, Maradona the Tiki Tiki, the Terminator. Right. So uh, they give the Premio Maradona for the, the most skillful player on the park, and they didn't give it to anyone for this game because it was sort of <laughs> such a lack of skill. But they did mention uh, Fabiani in that little column there because he, he came on and sort of yeah, went on a few these. nice touches. He, he yeah, dropped he, off he went on a big run well. kind of thing. And yeah. There was one point when he kind of picked the ball up more or less on the halfway line and he ended up dropping back well into all boys' half. Then in the process, he went round about four or five Boca players and then realised he wasn't going anywhere, <laughs> so he just kind of passed the ball out for a throw-in, I think. And it was really funny to watch. Obviously, he never looked in danger of scoring, which, which would have been fantastic for him as well, being a Fabiani himself being a River fan. 
he was talking about it, but he, he accepts, I think, that he's not going to necessarily score very many goals. Or, Ortega was the big disappointment in that match, actually, for yeah, me, watching as a river fan. He, he was kind of talking a bit before the game as well about how he always expects this kind of reception from La Bombonera crowd, and he certainly got got a tough reception, but he didn't really show very much at all, which was slightly surprising, because he, he's... He normally manages to step it up in that kind of atmosphere, but not not this time. Anyway, do, do we have anything else to say about predictions? No, well, maybe um, the other interesting one, that Arsenal Independiente. How do you see that going? It's I a classico from one point of view and not from the other. It's it? what you call, yeah, a classico mentira. Like, yeah. just a complete yeah. lie of a classico. Arsenal fans would like to think that Independiente and Racing are their two big rivals, yeah. and Independiente and Racing don't really give don't much of a toss really about them because they're a club who don't yeah. really shouldn't exist. And interestingly... Um, Obviously, Arsenal were formed by Julio Grandona, our favourite person on um, yeah. Handelpod, the AFA president. And between his time as AFA president and Independiente president, yeah. president, he formed this new club, Arsenal, and became their president. So and they were formed so that his son could get a game, because his son had a trial with Independiente yeah. and didn't make the cut, didn't they? So. And now, of course, you know, in this wonderfully nepotistic society that Argentine football is, his son is president of Arsenal. So every time Arsenal play, there's always this kind of current from the stands that the games are being brought. That's why they're in the yeah. in the tops. And, top, and, uh, top and, also, yeah, top and also, Arsenal have only been promoted. Up, they got promoted up quite kind of. It was a fairly rapid rise after Grandona became yeah. AFA president, and particularly since the kind of the, the end of the 80s, they've been promoted up through about three divisions or something in fairly yeah. quick succession. No, it's, it's a curious club. I mean, they've got a lot of quirks. One of them is that their nickname is the Arce, which, when it's written in English, <laughs> yeah. always makes me chuckle. Yeah. And also, in just to move completely bereft of any imagination, Grandona made, decided to make their kit a mixture of um, the Celeste of Racing and the Red of Independiente, which is just completely... Just, you need to put a bit of effort, surely. Yeah. I mean, if you got the chance to make a new team, you know, go for some polka original, dots, yeah. yellow and pink polka dots, I mean, you know. Mm. But no, he really didn't push the boat out on that one. No. But no, you know, to give them, give them their credit, they finished third in the Apertura, they played a very very tight championship, didn't give points away very easily at all. And yeah, I think a draw, if not um, a win for Arsenal, is going to be the result of that game I'd, I'd go with the point for it the, the annoying thing having just been slacking them off is that Arsenal have actually played some pretty good stuff particularly yeah. in the last right. couple of years they oh, won yeah. the Copa Sudamericana a couple of years ago no, you can uh, slag them off for so I think how they were formed their be. connections but you can't slag them off for how they're playing yeah. no, I think, I think it, you did say a draw didn't you Dan? Yeah. yeah I think that'll be that seems like a fair well, I'm glad I'm going to tweet some predictions out of you guys this week because yeah. then, then when I get two out of ten, I can <laughs> say it's not all my fault. Um, on that note, we'll we'll move on to some of the questions that we've had from Twitter now. actually had a few questions in from, from Twitter this week as well, which is a nice change because we've only had one or two in, in previous weeks. Has anybody got any that they'd like to read out to start with? Yeah, there's um, one of our one of uh, Mundo Lista's followers, uh, Guy Francois. He was asking about whether the big guns for Argentina will be playing against the USA in the in, in the upcoming friendly in New Jersey. That's that's going to be on March 26. I can. I can say that Messi is going to be there, definitely. I don't think there will be another match under Batista in which Messi is not going to be playing. Messi has unless, to play when yeah. he's fit, of course, because of the commercial deals as well. As yeah, so. that's another reason. But it's also Batista considers him to be the, the, the main player of the, on the team, and rightly so. And he wants to experiment, but only around him. Not He doesn't want to try a plan B because he ha- he's happy having Messi on his team and it's uh, like this brings me to another subject that uh, people say no Argentina they don't have a plan B if Messi is not playing and I don't think we had a plan B in 86 mm-hmm. when Maradona or in any of the other uh, World Cups in which Maradona was part of um, so I think it's, it's 
absolutely right or correct to have uh, only one plan and, and that is to have the best player in the world playing for you. So Messi is going to be there but I'm not sure about the rest. Do you think Tevez is likely to be involved? The, the rumor <laughs> is that Tevez is not going to be there. I'm sorry if, you, if you're fans of Tevez and are attending that, that, that match. I don't, I don't think he's going to be there. And the question mark will be Sergio Aguero because he, did, he, he, he wasn't called up for the Portugal match and maybe he will make his, his return now. Maybe not, I don't know. I expect to see Pastore again uh, being called up and maybe a couple of players from the domestic national team which will play yeah. friendly prior to that one on the 16 against Venezuela. I, I saw one person, I can't remember where, it was on, on the blog or, or somewhere on the internet uh, earlier today. I'm not sure how serious they were being, but saying that um, Batista ought to give Eric Lamela a call up to the full side as soon as possible because apparently Lamela also has an Italian passport. Huh. <laughs> um, I'm fairly sure that, that Lamela, would, being as how he is, Argentine, would probably prefer to play for Argentina than Italy anyway. But then, as we saw with Mauro Camera and AC, you never know. <laughs> yeah, but the, Batista is calling up a bunch of players from the domestic league, and Lamela is not there. Mm. He's calling he players did. like Viatri ahead of Lamela. Yeah. That's yeah hard to, to understand but no, I wonder whether some of it is, is just like we said for the Sudamericano River asking him not to be called up because he's a very very important part of River's, River's team and ultimately I think especially for friendlies the club has to has to have the, the priority you know yeah. if it's a competitive club match versus a friendly international yeah so Messi would have to, have to tell at this stage but yeah. Messi will be there Tevez probably not <laughs> apart yeah. from that we don't that sums it up I think yeah yeah so uh, thanks, thanks for that question to Guy Francois. Dan, I, I believe you had a question for us. Yeah, I received a question on Twitter as well, basically asking about foreign players in in the Argentine league. You know, Argentina is no different from any other league. Like, it has this fair amount of influence from other countries. Some people tend to do better than others. And the question was asking, maybe not completely fairly in my view, like why Colombians in view of you know Gutierrez making a great debut for Racing, Gio looking very good, uh, other players you know in the recent past doing well. Randomel Falcao Garcia being another exactly, yeah. which was still with River. So he was asking why Colombians seem to take very well to Argentine football, whereas Chileans, for example, you know haven't made as much of a big name for themselves. Would you say there's any truth to that? Uh, as, a, as a River fan, and also having had it mentioned to us during a little break in recording a second ago by Seba to jog my yeah. memory I feel impelled to bring up the name of Marcelo Salas but of course one player doesn't necessarily make I mean uh, other ones actually have read now I'm remembering Alexis Sanchez yeah. was also a very good one yeah and Medell did very well for Boca oh, right. of course yeah I'm, I'm not sure it's entirely fair to say that that Chileans don't for whatever reason there have been probably more and more prominent Colombians I mean, uh, and particularly over the last decade or so, obviously you had the two uh, the last well. time you won the title as well. And Bedoya and Viveros, and also the, the the backbone of Boca's Bianchi uh, Bianchi's Boca was Bermudez, Chicho Serna. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, let's, let's not forget Nelson Rivas, who had no, a cracking uh, half season at River Plate. Uh, Oscar Cordova, <laughs> the goalkeeper. Oscar Cordova, the goalkeeper. Ivan Cordova playing for San Lorenzo. The Colombians. Lots of Colombians. Yeah. For anybody who, who wondered why I laughed after saying Nelson Rivas just then, it's because he didn't play at all for River's first team in, in competitive games and then ended up getting sold to Inter Milan for some ridiculous sum of money for somebody who didn't play. Yeah, arguably, but, arguably the, the best foreigners ever in, in, in Argentina were also a lot, a lot of players from Uruguay, most yeah. notably Francesco, Francesco Lee, yeah. Ruben Paz, but uh, the, one of the two top scorers in the professional era for in, in Argentine football was from Paraguay, Arsenio Erico. Yeah. I never saw him play, he played in the 40s. But Independiente yeah. For Independiente, yeah. Then 293 had, um, goals. Yeah. And obviously you had Chile there who played, you know, fantastically and yeah. Vélez is my successful spell. Yeah. I mean, the point I made, I mulled this over a little bit. One explanation, if we're going to accept there's some truth to this, is that if you take the Uruguayan and Chilean leagues in comparison to the Colombian and Paraguayan, yeah. uh, those two leagues are much more developed, like, there's a lot more money in these leagues, like the standard tends to be a bit higher. So I think players from Chile and Uruguay don't have the same necessity to kind of prove themselves in Argentina before going to Europe. And also they can prove yeah. themselves in their local leagues and go straight to Spain or Italy. Whereas I think well you do well, yeah. Place, yeah. Whereas I think if you do well in Colombia or Paraguay, people will say, right, okay, you've done well, but you're not really playing brilliant football, so you've got to spend two years in Argentina. Yeah, I think it you is can do it there and then make the move. Yeah, slightly sort of. 
even in terms of pace, whatever like, the Argentinian yeah. league is not yeah. extremely fast or anything, but compared to yeah. say the Colombian league, it's considered sort of a stepping stone. Yeah, yeah. And, and probably as well, if, uh, to, to stretch, to, to extend, sorry, that analogy slightly further, um, you've got say Peru, Venezuela, yeah. which not not only are probably in terms of the competitiveness of the league slightly behind, but also in terms of the quality of the players that they they produce historically. Yeah. Obviously, Peru at the moment. You know, in, in, in say the seventies, Peru were actually very strong indeed, and so you see fewer of those players. You know, um, yeah, and, and obviously the, the Brazilian league, which is the most probably the most developed. You know, and certainly alongside Argentina in, in South America, a lot of yeah. people would say that it's it's ahead at the moment. You've and got they're Argentina taking a lot of Brazil. Chileans and Uruguayans yeah. as well. Yeah, and, like and very a, very a few Brazilians come from Argentina. Yeah, obviously linguistic reasons have to do with that as well. Yeah. It, it's much easier to bring in a player who already speaks Spanish. And here is colder. And here it's colder, yeah. Uh, I believe Sam has got to say goodbye now. Sí, so, hasta luego. Gracias por todo. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll cut short for a second. Whilst we marvel at Zombie's um, destruction of the slipper that he had in his mouth when we started recording, it's now in about 10 million different bits of the floor. Uh, we've got a couple more questions to ask, which which we can answer without Seba's benefit of being uh, done. Do you want to? Yeah, we had a question uh, from Ewan Marshall, who I think he lives in Brazil, and um, yeah, he was one of the guys who was on the Copa Libertadores yeah. Gip football show. Uh, I think he's quite knowledgeable about, about the Argentinian league and he's watched a fair bit of it but he's still never actually come up with a club and he's kind of um, trying to narrow it down and trying to decide on which club he's going to support he came up with about eight seven or eight clubs and one thing I suggested was you could kind of do it like a knockout competition like so like <laughs> whichever one loses last that, that you know that's that's going to be your club <laughs> judging by that system he's down to like gymnasia a few of, he's down to like four teams now but one, his question kind of related to that was um how all of us, being foreigners living in Argentina, how we chose our teams. Mine's a very simple answer, and it is that I was introduced to Argentine football by a lady who at the time was my girlfriend, she isn't anymore, and she was a River Plate fan, so it was her dad, so it seemed like the easiest thing to do. I had a very vague preference for them from when I was really small, just because I liked the kit, but aside from that, the, the reason I actually became a River fan was I was introduced to Argentine football by a River fan. I think, for me, what... It, it happened pretty soon after I got to Buenos Aires. I managed to meet this guy who worked just around the corner and all the same, lived around the corner from my house called Luciano, who's one of the straight up nicest, most genuine guys I've ever met. And an absolute fanatic of racing. I think last count he's got about 11 racing tattoos all over his body. Um, so he he feels it pretty, um, pretty strongly. And we got to talking and one day he said, you know, you got a kind of wrestling. It's it's like no other club. I'll take you. I'm like, no, all right then. Why not? He takes me down to the Cilindro, and I think that day we managed to lose against Argentinos. Played awfully. This is in the dark days before Gio, of course. Mm. But all the same, I was just blown away by the stadium, the atmosphere, kind of the passion that you see in in the stands. Like I've been to quite a few games before, and I'd never seen anything like that. And for me, it was you know, that's wrestling. You know. Love not going back. Sight. Love at first sight, we could say, yeah. And from then, you know, I started going more often. Ended up becoming a socio at the end of, at the start of last year. And now I barely, I pretty much don't miss a game. Dan, what's your yeah, excuse? Yeah, my story you is probably similar to both of you actually, because uh, yeah, basically my girlfriend. Uh, uh, my 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 club. I, I don't know if I've talked about it before, but my club is Ferro Ferro Caril Oeste. It's a club in the, the second division. A much bigger club than is suggested by that, though, in terms of that. Right, it's a it's tradition. a historical club that um, in Argentina is best known for the between say 1980, 82 and 1984. They were, I mean, they were the, the team to beat. Basically, they won no the 82 title without losing a game, and uh, famous for the the style of, of play, uh, kind of teamwork, and um, this was the time that Maradona was was. Finishing up with Mocha, 
better at that at the time with a team to be. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's a club with a long history. And um, but at the moment, uh, they've had all sorts of financial problems and what have you. And they're they've been down quite a few divisions at the moment. They're in Nacional, the second division. But basically, yeah, because my girlfriend uh, uh, is from Cabachito, which is, she she lives. Uh, ten minutes away from where we're recording here, um, and the Federal Stadium is just down the road as well. Uh, so it wasn't actually the first game I went to. Uh, I went to a Boca game, I think, first, like like all tourists do when you first get here. But um, uh, similar to Dan's story, we went went to Ferro uh This was when Fazio was still playing, who, who's now with Sevilla. So uh, he was about 19, 20 at the time. He scored a spectacular own goal. This is a central defender. <laughs> Um, but after that, they, they sort of, I think they came back from 2-0 to, to draw 2-2 two, two, two with the final kick of the game kind of thing, and uh, yeah, hadn't hooked. They're also the only club, Greater Buenos Aires has got more football stadia or more football clubs than any other urban area in the world. And Ferro are the only club in the whole of Greater Buenos Aires who have never moved stadiums. Right. Their, their current pitch is on the same spot as the very first pitch of the first stadium yeah. that they were. And not uh, only and that, the, right the, in the geographical centre yeah, of the city. The ge- well. geographical centre of Buenos Aires. They're a, they're, they're a club, actually, I've, I've kind of liked them ever since I first visited in 2003 because my, my ex lived out in Moron in the west of the, the city, um, well, the, the west of the suburbs of Greater Buenos Aires, and um, we used to see Federal's ground from the, the train line, which runs about two or three blocks south of where we're sitting here recording um, we used to come in and I could see just this one massive stand with a couple of much smaller ones around it and she told me about the club and yeah, so I kind of I, I liked them and it's most people speak quite endearingly about the stadium and everything as well because it's, mm. a, it's a, as, we, as we said it's very central it's quite a nice stadium it's pretty run down at the moment actually as, as Sam knows because we, we yeah. were there a few months ago uh, but and they also have a lot of concerts there and so most people know the, the federal stadium so mm. and it's the club that's fairly well liked by most people apart from Bellis fans but <laughs> they're traditional classic um, anyway we have, we have one more question which um, is actually just to me I think and it's from a, a fellow River Plate fan living in New Zealand he's, he's Argentine uh, but has spent most of his life in exile Fernando although his Twitter name is Battaglia or Battaglia as Argentines seem to prefer pronouncing it um, and he wanted to know he, he said to me that River Jota Jota Lopez seems to have settled on a 3-4-1-2 formation um, for River so far this season basically with Paolo Ferrari being pushed forward to a kind of wide right midfield position um, and he says it's certainly helped River's defensive stability and that they've not yet conceded a goal during the Clausura but they're not going to challenge for the title with it are they uh, and the only thing I can answer to that Fernando is no they're probably not <laughs> but you know, at this same stage of, of the Apertura, River were top of the table. They, I think, they actually went top after the fourth round, didn't they? Um, yeah. Shortly after beating Independiente in the in the previous third round of the Apertura. But you know, they, they fell away, and I think it, it's inevitable that that's going to happen again if they continue to to kind of win so narrowly and, and to scrape things. In fact, it's not three four one two; it's three four two one because they're playing with Lamela and. And Lancini kind of behind Pavone. I I'm not quite sure who they played with at the weekend, granted, but they're playing that more of that yeah, formation. And Pavone is in frustrating form goal scoring wise as well at the moment. He, he played really well and set two up against Huracan last weekend and this weekend just gone. He scored the only goal against Independiente late on, and it was the first one in a while. He was really happy. But no, I'd, I'd agree that River probably playing the way they are at the moment aren't going to be challenging for the title, but what they will be doing is. Uh, at least giving themselves a chance of, of getting climbing the promedial table and getting as many points under the under the, uh, their belt as they can do. And uh, qualifying for the Copa Sudamericana. Yeah, well, exactly, yeah, which much as normally it's a tournament that I would pour scorn on, it, it would certainly be a big boost for River if they could get into yeah. those qualification places and it would it would signify that they were a club who, you know, hopefully are on the up again. But, yeah, no, certainly I think it would definitely help if they could... Um, if they could find somebody who they were happy with playing up alongside Pavone as a striker and also preferably I'd, I'd like to see them play with the flat back four instead of this three centre backs and, and you know kind of wing back system almost which I think is is overdoing it a bit too much I, I think if, you, if you get a decent defensive 
uh, set up then there's no need to, to play with a third centre half and, and I'm not really sure why so many Argentine clubs like doing it so you don't think uh, Funes Mori is a person to <laughs> no I, I don't and, 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 I, and I don't think that, that Lopez does either he's, no. he's not been included in the squads lately and I, as I said to Seba on the pod last week Passarella seems to have realised that Funes Mori is going to be far more useful as a player to sell and get money for than, than as a player who's actually in the team um, I don't think that Gabriel don't call me Rogelio Funes Mori is, is a player who um, who's, who's going to play a part in a, in a river team that's challenging for the title uh, anyway on, on that note we'll now say goodbye because we've been recording for a good while um, Seb has obviously already gone so it just leaves the three Anglophones on the podcast to, to bid the fair morrow to our <laughs> fair morrow <laughs> bye <laughs>